Anyway, okay, so today is the 23rd. Here's the proverb of the day from chapter 23. I chose verse 18. For surely there's a hereafter, and your hope will not be cut off. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to start a new series today, and uh, today in particular, I want to tell you we're going to have a very gentle liftoff before we start to accelerate a little bit. So um, um, I, I want to ask you to buckle your seatbelts because in a while we're going to accelerate. You know, my favorite part of flying, I got my two favorite parts of flying in an airplane, is the takeoff because I just love being pushed back in my seat. Don't you like the... And then, and then the second most favorite part is landing. We're going, oh, we survived again. It's like really, really good. And I like being pushed back in the seat. So um, buckle your seatbelt because I, there will be some push a little bit in a minute. Um, when I was 18, I remember hearing older people, <laughs> 25, 30, whatever older people was, talk about the good old days and how things have changed. You ever heard those? You know, So at risk of being the old guy today, which I guess in some ways I am, um, I'm going to talk about how things have changed. Um, do you recognize, maybe some of you will recognize these personalities? Oh, so there are some old people here. Okay. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> so of course that was Andy Griffith and then the Cleaver family and then it ended up with Rob and Laura Petrie. They, they came from a time when television was guided by something called the television code. And um, I'm going to read to you a part of the code that governed TV in back in the 50s and 60s. The code prohibits the use of profanity, the negative portrayal of family life, irreverence for God and religion, it prohibits illicit sex, drunkenness, and biochemical addiction, the presentation of cruelty, uh, detailed techniques of crime, the use of horror for its own sake, the negative portrayal of law enforcement officials, and among others. And it talked to, about how performers should dress and, and to be within the bounds of decency. Further, news reporting was to be factual, fair, and without bias, and commentary and analysis should be clearly defined as such. <laughs> Things have changed. And um, the rules that they had back then em emphatically stated that um, regarding bedrooms on TV, it said they must be governed by good taste and delicacy. Even during kissing scenes, um, at least one of the partners had to have their feet on the floor, okay? So I have a picture of that, I think, too. This is Robin Laura Petrie. Sorry, it's old. old. And, of course, you can see them um, meeting the requirement. And that feet on the floor requirement was met by virtually every hit show in prime time, including Lucy and um, uh, Ricky and Lucy Ricardo. You know them from I Love Lucy and Ed, Ed and Dixie, Nixie, um, Nixie, Trixie Norton. Okay, the Honeymooners. Anybody know the Honeymooners? My dad used to watch the Honeymooners. I, I don't know. Um, the Fathers Knows Beth, that was the Anderson family and... Um, uh, Henry and Alice Mitchell, um, which would be Dennis the Menace, and um, even Fred and Wilma Flintstone, even cartoon characters, if they kissed, their feet were on the floor. Interestingly, the, 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 the bedroom scenes all pretty much had twin beds and pajamas. The idea of a single bed in a married couple's bedroom was still too racy to be on TV in the early 50s and early 60s. One of the very first, I don't think they were the first family, but one of the very first uh, television shows where, the, where the, the married couple actually had one bed in the master bedroom was The Brady Bunch. The Monsters. The Monsters was ahead? Okay, well, I don't know if The Monsters wants to be my benchmark. But think about The Brady Bunch, you know. <laughs> The Brady Bunch, uh, you know, all of these kids, I don't want to go down that rabbit trail, but anyway, so I don't know what that has to do with just having one bed. Anyway, um, so 
eventually FCC mandated um, something. They had something called Family Hour from 8 until 9 p.m. Um, it had to be, it was required for the, it to be family-friendly content. And in 1976, that requirement was overturned by a federal judge in Los Angeles. And in, by 1983, that code of practices that I was reading to you from was completely eliminated. By 1990, the National Association of Broadcasters um, sent out this guideline for, it was the, here's how the guideline had changed and become this. Exercise responsible and careful judgment in the selection of materials for broadcast. That was the guideline. Figure out what's good and do that. Of course, money-making businesses, what do you think they did? How's that working out for our culture would be the question. Okay, so far that was the gentle liftoff. Now we're going to accelerate a little bit. Um, today is a totally different world than it was in 1975 or 1980 or 1990 or 2000 or 2005 or 2015. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a much different world to follow Christ in than you know, for what I face as, as, a, as a child growing up compared to what my kids face and now what my grandchildren will face um, growing up in our culture. And I know I'm not alone in thinking about this. People are thinking about this. I hear people talking about this fairly constantly. It's been a long, long going, what's going on, you know? H how can all this be happening? And uh, none of this just sprung up. I want to say this about, I, I consider this a crisis. I want to say this about a crisis. A crisis, the crises of life are a, a, a way of revealing something that's been happening actually for a very long time. The change, these changes have been coming over decades and the rate of change of moral decay is accelerating. You know, something's in the news. What on earth? I can't believe what I read. Where'd this come from? But actually... That crisis has been actually been happening um, slowly and incrementally over time. Some headline-grabbing thing happens today, and the reality is we think, whoa, what's going on? But really, it's been happening very, very slowly, incrementally, step by step over a very long time. So what are we supposed to do? That's the point of this message. What are we supposed to do? Because it's not obvious in, in the family of God, in, in, in among followers of Christ in the world, there's not a lot of agreement about what we're supposed to do. Even among believers, there's just not a lot of agreement. In fact, the responses of Christians is as wide as, as A to Z on that topic. There's no consensus among Christians how we're supposed to respond as the world kind of unravels morally in front of us. So where should we find the answer to this question? Oh, the obvious answer. This is the right answer right here. here. You should find it in the Word of God. God surely has to have answers to this in His Word. And, you know, what are we supposed to do? Well, Jesus promises us in John chapter 14, here's, here's something that He said, and it has reference for this topic and every topic in your life. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. By, by the way, this, this is a complete rabbit trail, and I probably ought not to go down this. <laughs> the Holy Spirit just said, don't. Okay, I won't. So <laughs> That word helper, I guess I'm going down it. Just, I'll just step onto it. Step onto the very beginning. That word helper is the same that Jesus used right there. It's the exact same word translated. The Hebrew version of it is, is way back at the beginning where God said it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make a helper for him, right? And it shows up in a couple of other places in the New Testament. Anyway, so um, the, 
the where the rabbit trail goes is it's, it's many times, it's, it's used several times in the New Testament referring to a wife. Husbands and wives, same word, helper. Anyway, okay, not in a subservient way, but the type in a marriage is that the wife is the representative of the Holy Spirit. In my case, that happens. That's the rabbit trail. I'm not going down there. Okay, so, 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 so okay, the helper is going to bring things to our mind. Here the scripture says, and bring to your remembrance all things that I said. So there's times that the Holy Spirit is going to take some truth, some scripture, and drive it from somewhere in the recesses of your brain, and bang, it's going to be right out in front for you. Well, you might ask yourself, well, you know, you know, Terry, you, you seem to study. You have to spend a lot of time, and I do. What did you do before Google? Well, yeah, I was alive before the Internet. I, I actually was able to eat and leave, you know, breathe and, and live before Facebook, before texting, before all of that stuff, before even email. Um, we had this thing called a computer, and it had software in it, and you can actually look stuff up there, and I had a lot of information there that you know, the Holy Spirit would help me with, but I also had these tools that would help me. Well, what about before you had a computer? Well, we had um, something that was called a book, had hard, hard on the outside, had pages in the inside. And, and you probably, if you brought your Bible with you, most Bibles have um, um, in the very back something called a concordance. And that's kind of a reference system. It's kind of a library. It can help you find scriptures on different topics or certain word, keywords. Maybe you remember a word from a scripture. can't remember the whole thing. Sometimes you go, if you can find that word, the concordance will say, Here's, oh, there's that scripture. So there, are, there have been these things that have helped all along the way. But the Holy Spirit does it supernaturally. And when the Holy Spirit does it, it's, it's perfect. Have you ever noticed that? You're going through life and you know some scriptures, but you can't do what these little kids are doing. They come up here and they say, you know, I, I can't do that. I'd have to work at it and be ready to, you know, spout it out. So, I mean, but there's a lot of scripture down in my soul. Thy word, O Lord, have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Right? That kind of stuff. And the Holy Spirit grabs that and, and does that to us. And it's perfect when those things happen. But, but so, so the Holy Spirit, and, and, and as I've been grappling with this subject, the Holy Spirit kept driving me to this passage, Psalm 11, verse 3. Now, I'm going to give this to you in two different translations. One is a paraphrase, which means that the translators were trying to give you an idea about the concepts of the scripture versus one that was more literal in its translation. Okay, so the paraphrase is, is John, or, or Psalm 11, 3. The bottoms dropped out of the country. Good people don't have a chance. Okay, it shows up with a question mark, but it's really a declarative statement in that particular translation. If you look at it in the ESV, which I generally use here, not so much always for my study, but um, I use here, um, the ESV says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Great question. Okay, so that's our text. Let's hop in and read the entire chapter. It's only a handful of verses of Psalm 11. It says, to the choir master of David. Now, this is a psalm of David. Um, David was a lyricist here. And some of the psalms of David, we know, um, you know the circumstances behind them. This particular one, we don't really have a clear sense of what was going on, but there's obviously some kind of a crisis going on. Verse 1, in the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to the mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now there's some sort of a shift in mood. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of men. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. By the way, that sentence might, it might rock your theology a little bit. 
God loves everybody? I don't know. It says his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. That's worth time studying. I'm not going to give you the answers to that because that's another rabbit trail. Let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur on scorching wind shall the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteous deeds, the upright shall behold his face. So right there is this answer to this question with everything happening to us, what are we supposed to do? Then that's the main point of our message. Here it is right there. That's the reason for this series, this question in Psalm 11. What are we supposed to do? Verse three, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? What can we do? And, and this passage insists, in times of moral decline, strengthen your foundation in the Lord. Before I go there, though, I want to ask, see if we actually agree, are we in times of moral decline? Are we actually in, <laughs> you know, so in, in case you're not already there, um, convinced there, I'm going to give you some information, and this is where you need to buckle your seatbelt, because of some of the stuff I want to tell you about. Some examples, and these are not in any particular order, they're just this list, um, because I think our moral um, standard in our, in our culture has declined so far that frankly, we, we have been, you know, we've been standing in sewage up to our thighs, and now it's risen to our armpits, and it, we haven't hardly noticed that it's getting deeper and worse. It's like, it smells the same, it feels the same, and um, we're losing track of how fast things are changing. Okay, so here's a few examples. Uh, I'll, I just numbered them so you can tell when I'm shifting. Well, number one is a website, and I've mentioned this before in a sermon, it's called Ashley Madison. I'm not here to promote it by any means. It's a Canadian website, and it's an online dating service aimed at married people. Its slogan is, life is short, have an affair. In 2019, um, their um, chief strategy executive um, claimed that they had 60 million members and that they were creating an average of 1 million affairs per month. Millions of people are going to this website looking for an opportunity to break their vows. You know, God says, <laughs> he says, God takes no pleasure in fools. It's better not to vow than to not pay. That's Ecclesiastes. And adultery just destroys marriage. It does. It shreds marriages. You know, I mean, how often have pastors and other people I know stood with the broken pieces of somebody's lives in their hands. And, um, you know, I, there are times, sometimes grace can prevail, but, but, but adultery shatters relationships and trust. In 2015, this website was hacked. The Ashley, Ashley Madison website was hacked. And uh, the, the hackers got a lot of information from the website. They got emails, um, names, home addresses, sexual fantasies. They got all these things identified and uh, credit card information, and they threatened to post the data, which they later did. And, uh, you know, be sure your sins will find you out kind of comes to mind on a deal like that. They posted it. And um, in some interesting things, of course, there were some scandals. And over 13,000 of the email addresses had a .gov, .gov. <laughs> and I'm not here to assail public service, but I'm telling you, people in every walk of life. Um, and here's the thing. Despite, despite that hack, membership is still growing. How can that not be a sign of moral decline? I don't know. Okay, next next one. On June, 5th, uh, June of 2015, by a close decision, five to four, the United States Supreme Court legalized same-sex marriage. Now, just to give you an idea about public opinion on that topic, 
Um, if you go back to 1988, 11% of the American population agreed with or approved of same-sex marriage. By 2011, that number had risen to 50%. By 2015, it had risen to 60%. By 2018, it was 67%. Unless you ask the person, what if it was your child? And the number was a little lower, but still a majority. Number three, Norway. Norway is a good example. In Norway, um, at age six, a child's right begins to self-determination about gender change. There, if you reach 16, your parents have no say in the matter. In fact, they don't even have to be informed at 16. And now we celebrate. We celebrate transgenderism. It's like, you know, um, <laughs> I want to be charitable, um, but, I, but I know this person as Bruce Jenner, not Caitlyn Jenner, but Bruce Jenner, who was a decathlon gold medalist in the Montreal Olympics, was given this award, the ESPY award, for courage, for, um, you know, courage, declaring that he's now a woman. Uh, consider the depths that our culture has gone to now to um, disregard the sanctity of human life. It's terrible. Um, and it's becoming more polarized by the second, our culture is on that topic. Pornography, pornography growth is, is just crazy. It's over $3 billion a year. Um, human trafficking is the highest, fastest growing criminal um, category in the world. And 75% of that crime involves... Um, um, sexual exploitation, it, it's, it's hard to get our attention anymore. We hear something now and we think, well, yeah, okay. That's not any bigger than what I heard last week or this morning or I'm going to hear again tomorrow. And we hear things that are truly outrageous in the news and they don't really phase us that much anymore. And I, I suppose right this moment, some of you are thinking, okay, Terry, we get the point. We kind of like you to stop. And I'd like to stop with this list because it, it just grieves us. The magnitude of, and the frequency, you know, we just like to shut it off and act like it's not there because we hope it'll get better and we can ignore it. So we wonder, what are we supposed to do? I didn't make this happen. Here's the other thing, you know, God chose you to be born today in this culture, not as part of the, you know, Little House on the Prairie cast. <laughs> and God didn't make a mistake. He would put us here now because of his sovereign choices. You weren't born at the wrong time. Are we in times of moral decline? Yeah, and it's accelerating. Another example is Christians are being attacked for their faith. You know, There's lots and lots of examples of that because, because here's why we're being attacked for our faith. There's only one God, and his son is named Jesus Christ, and Jesus is the only way to heaven, and God only wrote one book. It's the Bible, and we're persecuted because we hold to that truth. All of the other writings for other gods are lies. They're lies. Can't be more charitable than be truthful on that topic. There aren't lots of ways to heaven. There's one way to heaven and a lot of ways to hell. Wide is the path that leads to destruction, and narrow is the way that leads to life. I want everybody I know and everyone I can ever influence, find the narrow way. Not to be a narrow-minded bigot, because that's your name, if you're a Christian, according to the culture, not to be a narrow-minded, but to find life eternal. The alternative's terrible. 
So what are we supposed to do? You know, I think about Christians being persecuted. I have, you know, maybe some of you have connections to the Ralph's Thriftway clan and the family that owns uh, the couple of stores in Olympia. The, when that whole thing was going on and they were being forced to sell abortion pills, basically. And they said, can't do it. And how our state went after them. Our government went after them and they ultimately, I think, prevailed at, at some level in the courts, but not after a lot of destruction had happened to them financially, to, to the couple, one of the pharmacists lost her job or had to quit. And there was all kinds of things that went on there, all kinds of persecution, um, um, people being forced to bake cakes and make flower arrangements um, and for weddings, things that violate. And, and believe, it, believe it or not, people are being attacked that take those positions, that do those things by other Christians as well. Christians are kind of, you know, bake the cake, don't bake the cake, make the flowers, don't make the flowers. I think we need to be very, 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 very careful about thinking that, well, those decisions are obvious. You don't bake the cake or you do bake the cake. I, 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 we really should watch out for judging other people. Um, these are hard times and the answers are not obvious. So I don't think we need to be judging each other as Christians um, acting as if the solution is obvious. It's not obvious. It's not. Here's what ob- is, is obvious. Romans 14, 5 tells us that, it says that, let each one be poly- fully persuaded in his own mind. Study that out sometime. Different people get to different conclusions in different convictions, and it's a harsh world out there. We need to be better, 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 better at loving each other and not so great at judging each other. Okay, and then this constant portrayal of Christians in the media as bigoted and hateful and intolerant. We live in a world where anything goes except the one who won't say anything goes. It's kind of crazy. Anything goes, anything goes, anything goes. Think about the next two or three things that are somewhere down the moral decline chain. Those things are rushing up on us right now as we, as, as, as we stand here. I... I I want to. I have lots. I got some more to do here, but I want to pray. Can we stop for a minute and pray, Lord? Uh, these justices kind of some sometimes they just weigh on our hearts. Would you move upon them, Lord? Would you would you right the wrongs? We ask God for light to prevail over darkness, love to prevail over lies. Jesus, we pray for courage and we pray for strength. We pray, Father, that you'd come quickly, send your Son quickly. The world is dark and it's growing darker. The world's desperately in need of a Savior and of perfect justice, so we wait by faith knowing that the Savior has come. And um, so, Lord, as we wrestle with these matters of strengthening our foundations, help us, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in these times of, of pretty significant moral decline, so I'm going to get in, back into our scriptures. Um, Psalm 11.1. In the Lord, I take refuge. So why'd you have to do that, David? Some people, you know, surmise that maybe he was, this was during his time where he was having a battle with Goliath or maybe Saul or Absalom. We don't really know. And the scripture says, how can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? Who is the you in this passage? I'm not really sure. Is this self-talk? Is this David imagining the voice of the world? I mean, have, have you ever felt like, you know, the voice was speaking to you or salty? Am I the only weird one that has felt that way? Okay. Am I the only one that ever self-talks? I am the only one. Okay. I need help. Okay. So anyway, so there's, is it self-talk? Is it, is it, is it maybe his lame friends who were kind of assaulting him? Cause you know, Job had some terrible friends that were saying 
bad stuff to him. But in, in whoever the, the you is in this, David is, is getting this message delivered to his soul, which is the immaterial part of you. This is your mind and your emotions, okay? Your will. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain, you know? Why don't you take off and fly like a bird? Go to your mountain. That's what this passage is saying. How do birds flee? Think about birds for just a minute. You ever tried to sneak up on a bird? Other than a grouse, which are dumber than a rock. <laughs> they are. They're dumber than a rock. You can walk up and grab it by the neck and eat it right there if you want to. Um, but every other bird, they're nervous. They're, they're nervous. What's it take to get a bird to fly away? It doesn't take much. They're always going, who's coming after me now? They're the most paranoid creatures in the world, probably because there, there is somebody coming after them. But they're always on, on the alert for the slightest sign of danger. Okay, let's go back and look at that again. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? At the very first sign of danger, take off for the caves. Why is some voice saying to him, run away? Run away and hide. So before we even get to the answer to where the sermon is going today, you know, what are we supposed to do? We encounter in this passage two things that will not fix a broken culture. Okay, thing number one, if we run away and hide. Okay? But isn't that really, really a common Christian response? It's just too dark out there. It's just too difficult out there. Just you and me and nobody else, you know, let's huddle up together. And, you know, the, the, the world is coming apart at the seams. That's what the world is choosing. Let them come apart at the seams. That's what it wants. Let's, let's huddle up. I, I think that's really common. The problem with isolation is that it excludes the possibility of knowing the culture, at least to the degree you know, if you don't have some understanding of the culture, how could you possibly be forming a plan to bring the gospel to them? And I'm all for parents making careful choices to protect their children. I think that's the responsibility, one of the primary responsibilities in a marriage uh, that has kids is to protect their children from, far, from par harmful influence. But, but, but listen, the barrier to your children following Jesus with their whole hearts as, a, as an adult, it's not culture. And the barrier is not parenting mistakes. Our children are resilient. You will make mistakes as a parent, I promise you. And they'll still be okay. It's their heart. It's a heart problem. Raising kids is not like bacon cookies. There's no recipe. There's no automatic, if you do this, then that. Because they, they come of age, and they get to make their own choices, and they have to learn their own lessons, including mistakes. And some of them, can, can, they can make some whoppers. <laughs> I did. There are some whoppers. And, 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 it's, and I, I promise you, whatever your philosophy is about raising children, if you have kids, it's going to get tested. Your philosophy is going to get put to the test. And if your plan is for isolating your children... That plan will absolutely produce a certain amount of external conformity. But the longer we wait for the heart issues to come out, the uglier they're going to be when they do show up. You know, the, that's a problem with the hyper, hyper vigilance as a parent. I mean, I'm never going to let them go. I'm never going to let them see. I'm never going to let them do. I'll never let them fill in the blank. The problem is you don't have them forever. And I don't know, this is just Terry's 
questioning the question. It might possibly be better if they got that little dark heart out on the table right then when they're living at home with you where it's safe and you can lovingly show them the grace of Jesus as you build quality back into them. I mean, we're in a place of moral decline and um, it's been going on for well more than 50 years, but that's my frame of reference. And it seems to be accelerating. Times of moral decline. So, okay, it, what doesn't work is to run away and hide. Second thing that doesn't, doesn't work is if we fight. You can see that right there in the passage, verse two. How can you say to my soul, I flee like a bird to the mountains? For behold, verse two, the wicked bend the bow. You know what that means? I mean, did you, if you ever have had a, any experience with archery, and it wasn't one of the newfangled um, bows that do everything for you, and there's pulleys and cables and all that kind of stuff. If you had a recurve bow or had a bow like these guys had when this was written, a recurve bow, anybody here, any archery? Okay. All right. So if you have a recurve bow, um, it's hard to get the string on there. So you put it on one end, and you stand it up, and you put your foot through, and then you bend the thing over, and you muscle it, and you... Try not to get slapped in the face because it will hurt. And okay, so you go through this deal, but you're stringing the bow. You're putting the bow under tension, a lot of tension. So now that string is tight and it's got some flex. But it, what you know, and every action has an equal and opposite. Okay, if you pull on it, it's gonna it's gonna send something. And okay, so it would be under tension and ready to send an arrow into the heart of the enemy. And so. Catch what's going on here. What are the wicked doing in this pack passage? They're bending the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark. So, surprise, you're not going to see it coming. You're not going to know where it's coming from. In the dark, at the upright in heart. The enemy here is rallying his team to shoot at the Christ followers in the dark. That's the picture here. Some things only work in the dark because, you know, we're really most vulnerable when we're asleep. That's why the text says, you know, they fitted the arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at our most vulnerable time, at our most vulnerable moment. Make, make no mistake. First Peter 5 tells us, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. Those of you that have had a great marriage for decades, 10, 20, 30 years, your enemy wants to shred it. He wants to shred your 40-year marriage. Those of you that have think that, you know, somehow in some circumstance you've kind of gotten past the risk, <laughs> let anyone who thinks he stands take care lest he fall, 1 Corinthians. The, mo the more safe we think we are, the more vulnerable we can actually become. The time that we, especially when we cease to fear the outcome of rebellion against God is the time that we're absolutely the most vulnerable. The wicked have fitted their arrows to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. Now, some, some of you are hearing this and thinking about the decline of our culture and thinking, oh, they want to fight? Bring it. Just, just bring it. Come on, I'm, I'm ready. Let's see what you got. That's, some of us think that way. And a lot of Christians respond that way. And this message asks the question, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? Well, I think it's teaching us that we're not supposed to run away. I also think it's teaching us we're not supposed to go all Rambo on this, right? 
So are you, are you saying, Terry, it's wrong to go march on Washington? No, I am not saying that. Romans 14, 5, I already mentioned that. Let each one be fully persuaded in his own mind. Remember, we're on the same team here. Let's not be judging other people, you know, about what we think they should and shouldn't be doing. But I want to say this, and um, this is Terry. I cannot tell you this is, I, I'm not going to try and tell you this. this I'm just qualified. This is Terry. But I, I, I believe that if you want to, watch, to, to march on Washington, um, over abortion or over whatever it, that you're, you know, you're convicted about, and you've got your reasons why and um, and why you believe those things are wrong, and and so far as if they're based on God's word, I completely agree with you. So know this: I'm not judging you if you decide to do that. Everybody got that? I'm not judging you. Okay, so don't write me an email telling me why did you say I couldn't go march on Washington? I didn't say that. Okay, and I'm not trying to dissuade you from doing that. I'm just saying this. If you're doing that, you're doing that as a citizen of the United States. It's different. Okay? Because I'm, I'm going to just toss this up for your consideration, for your prayerful consideration. And you may disagree with this, but I just wonder if we can actually, actually truly find a biblical proof for Christians um, demanding their Christian rights. Not sure that's in there. I'm not sure that's what Christ did. And so to protest based upon your Christian rights is different than doing it as a citizen. Do you catch that? They're both okay. They both have different um, platforms from which to stand. So it's not wrong to, to um, go to court because of some illegal, illegality. You know, the powers that, that be are ordained of God and... Um, it's, they're there for the punishment of wrongdoers. That's okay. I mean, it's not wrong to call the police. If, if somebody breaks the law, call the police. It's like, that's what they're for. I'm not talking about your legal rights here. I'm talking about your moral expectations, your, your beliefs in our efforts to change the culture. And I'm asking myself this question. Have we failed to represent Jesus as we could have? Remember that passage that says... Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. We all want to say, well, that means we can't say GD. Right? That is this tiny fraction of what that passage means. When it says taking his name in vain, it's talking about us bearing um, his name inaccurately. Oh, I'm a Christian. That's a way bigger deal to God um, than something that slips out of your tongue. I'm not saying that's not wrong. I'm just saying, um, ha- have, we failed to re- have we failed to represent Jesus? To, ba- to demand my Christian rights would, would require this. If I, if I feel like it's right for me to demand my Christian rights, then that makes me assume that if I'm um, addressing something and Jesus was standing right next to me, he'd be right there with me doing the same, screaming at that guy, right? Whatever it is. Um, there's, there's a place, Lisa and I used to go on vacation fairly regularly, and there was this car that would park in this, there was a place where tourists would walk, romantic walks. So we did a lot of romantic walks there. Time for another romantic walk, honey. Anyway, um, no, she says, no, it isn't. No. <laughs> were you shaking your head no? You were the Holy Spirit before, but that was not. Okay, so, all right. <laughs> First law of the hole, when you're in one, stop digging. Okay, so, anyway, so there was this car that would always park where the romantic walks were going on, and it was, you've probably seen them before, 
It had signs written on the side. It was covered with scriptures that were pretty much telling me everyone everywhere is going to hell and it's happening. There was this terrible, hateful thing. It was the word of God broadcast in the most unloving way. And I'm thinking, that that wouldn't persuade me of anything. Maybe maybe if it sits there for 50 years, one person will go, oh, he's right. I've got to get on my knees. But I don't know. I just, I just, I just wouldn't wonder, would Christ be doing that? Would he be standing there screaming? And, and if you're fully persuaded in your mind, since you're my brother and your sister, and sister in Christ, and, and I love you, and, and uh, I'll stand with you, your decision, but I don't think people should be judging. We shouldn't be judging each other. We should be, I think we should be fully persuaded in our own minds. And I'm just raising these subjects because we've asked this question, what are we supposed to do? Okay, here's the answer. Verse 3. If the foundations are destroyed, don't flee, don't fight, what can the righteous do? It's the foundation. Get back to the foundations. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? This is a rhetorical question. Okay, in this scripture, this is a rhetorical question. God forbid that that should happen, but if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The answer is nothing. If it gets there, because if we lose the foundations, we, we, can't, we can't let it come to that. This is what the scripture is saying. We have to strengthen the foundation, because if they're destroyed, what can I do? What can I do? If that ever happens, it's a bad deal. Lisa and I just built a house. We're still kind of in the building of it. I'm still working on the driveway and so forth. It's on the top of this hill. And it's a big, giant rock. It cost us extra to build it because I had to make a driveway through this rock. But I know our house is built on this rock. And um, when the guys were actually pouring the foundation, you know, if, if you've ever built a house before, it's like, hurry up. We were living in our travel trailer and, and um, you know, we're you know, used to a slightly more space. And, um, um, and just whatever selfish thing I just said, whatever that was. But we're, we're ready. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Let's wait for permits, wait for this, wait for that. And now the, the guys are pouring the foundation. They took forever. <laughs> forever, it seemed like. And I mean, I, it just couldn't go fast. It really didn't take that long when I look backwards. But the foundation is so important. Here's how important it was. Jesus talked about it. Verse um, Matthew 7, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came. This sounds like our house, honey. (laughs) And the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. The rock is Jesus Christ. And if your life is built on Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what happens in culture. Your life is not going to blow down. Not this life, not the life to come. And if your family is built on Jesus Christ, when that storm comes, your family is not going to go down either. And the storm is here. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Let's pray. Lord, um, thank you for so much, Lord. First off, I declare with my heart and with my being and all that I am, that you're the head of our church, that you know the end from the beginning. And while um, in our flesh we don't want to shrink back from things, the big weight, the, the real responsibility 
about this. By your grace, Lord, and your mercy and by faith, we'll, we're going to step out and take more ground for you. Mm-hmm. We want to win more loss for you, Lord. We want, we want to sing more praise for you, God. We want, we want to serve more people for you, Lord. So help us, Lord, to strengthen the foundations, whatever that might be, whether it's in, in, in our walk with you. And I want to pray, Lord, for those that are um, not under the foundation of Jesus, that they would come to that now. I want to pray for those, Lord, that that don't know you and say, oh, Lord, do that miraculous thing that only you can do by your spirit. Speak to hearts and speak to souls right now. And if, while we're praying and eyes are closed, if that's you, if, if you hear this whole thing and so, yeah, these things are true and I feel like I'm on shaky ground and I don't know that when I die that I'll be in him. I don't know that I know that I know. I hope... I'm trying to be good, but I don't really know. If, if that's true of you, I want you to know you can know. Scripture makes a couple promises about that. It says if you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. If you've never done that before, it's a decision you make to accept the work of Christ, not the work that you do. You don't do that by being good. You don't do that by being better. It's by faith we are saved, not by works, so that nobody can brag about what they've done to get to heaven. So... If that's you and you want to open your heart, I encourage you right now to say yes to God. As the Holy Spirit is speaking to you to say yes, yes, yes. You don't have to, to know what you're doing. You're not joining a church. Just yes to the King, the author of your future. And your name will be in the Lamb's Book of Life. And then share that with someone today. Lord, I pray, for, I pray for those that are not under your foundation and they're opening their heart to you right now, that they would come to you now and know that they know that you are theirs. I pray for, Lord, for those who maybe also have wandered from that place and maybe something needs to be restored. Maybe something, they've, they've slid kind of backwards a little bit. Cause it, Lord, not to be so. Birth in each one of us in our church this spiritual awakening of returning to the foundations of your word, Lord, your son. I pray for these things in your name. Amen.